0: Talk Radio five seventy KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beers, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle Sommelier Christopher Chang. It's Happy Hour Radio right now
1: on Talk Radio five seventy KVI. Well, hello Seattle, hello Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and, uh, well, you're... Mm, what am I gonna be, man? I, this is rosé season. I gotta the Ranger of Rosé, <laughs> the Rosé Ranger. Uh, so glad you can join me this Saturday night. Uh, happy springtime! I know we've got some wacky weather out here in the Puget Sound, but uh, you can drink rosé anytime. And I'm super excited because uh, I was out in New York uh, last month for uh, Vin Expo in New York, and I had a chance to uh, connect with um, countless wineries from around the world. And there's very one. There's one brand new club coming up. And uh, it's from a, a stalwart, a an icon of our culinary world. Um, her name is Martha Stewart. You probably know her, and uh, she's... Uh, She's the new Julia Child of uh, television cooking. Um, And, of course, you've probably seen that she's hooking up with Snoop Dogg and doing some fun things. So she truly is mainstream. And uh, when you think of wine clubs, you're thinking like, okay, there's a bunch out there, and perhaps, uh, you know, like the Wall Street Journal has a wine club. And all those labels, I have never seen any of those labels. And and I kind of think they're just, let's just slap a new label on it and call it good. But I had the pleasure of uh, receiving a box from Martha Stewart Wine Company, and I've got uh, two of the principals behind the, uh, this uh, project. Uh, Kristen Rosen, who's the director of brand management, and Tyson Custer is the director of wine strategy. Hey, Kristen and Tyson, welcome to Happy Hour.
2: Hey, thanks. Hey. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, um, happy Saturday night. Um, uh, so Martha Stewart, she's been around for 30-some years, as far as I can remember, and uh, she... I wonder if she's still single, because I think she's really pretty cute. <laughs> but um, <laughs> let's talk about this. So who had the idea of a Martha Stewart wine company?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, you know, uh, we've basically drinks. Um, Our brand portfolio has a lot of interesting brands in it. We um, landed on Martha Stewart as an idea probably in 2016, and it came together quickly because, you know, Martha is iconic, obviously, a lifestyle expert, and she loves wine. So she's sort of a person people go to for advice, and it just made sense, and she was really on board quite quickly. And so we partnered together in 2016 and we managed to launch uh, just months later. So we just hit our two year anniversary.
1: Wow, congratulations. Um, I, I was really impressed. Of course, branding has a lot to do with everything. Of course, we we use our eyes and then our our ears and nose and and taste buds, etc. Um, but when you see something, it's the first impression. And i got to say that Martha Stewart, the box that came by, uh, of course, it has Martha Stewart's name on it. So you almost think that that's a very comforting uh, to, uh, brand to be, an image to be on that box. I, I like all of the materials you have in the box as well. Um, it says, welcome, selecting a wine. Doesn't have to be complicated. Simply learn what you love and... And drink it well. I'm a small yay, and that's kind of what we say too. So, congratulations on that. Now, Tyson, you are the director of wine strategy. Um, are you involved with selecting the wines, uh, presenting wines to Martha for for her uh, choosing?
3: Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, so, I'm out there looking for unique wines and wines that are representative of where they come from. What makes this interesting is that not only in our is our team involved in the selection and tasting, but Martha Stewart as well. She actually tries and selects every single wine up in our program.
1: And how does that work? Let's say do you, uh, you bring her to a room and she comes to the room and you've got glasses. Is this a single blind? Does she look at the label? Is it everything is part of this this uh, selection evaluation process?
3: It's everything. You know, She's looking at the, the, the packaging of the wine, the label, um, and of course, obviously, how it tastes. We want to make sure that When we select a wine for the program, when she selects a wine for a program, it is truly representative of where it comes from so that when the customer is the wine, they get a good feeling for what um, a wine from Bordeaux should taste like, for example.
1: Excellent. Well, I, I had, I have to admit, I was truly impressed. Anytime you start sending real Provence rosé as your as my first shipment, <laughs> you got me. Um, I think Provence rosé is the, uh, the the standard of all rosés in the world. Of course, for me personally, and I'm, I it's, it's the rosé rosé season. Are you um, presenting wines, shipping wines for this wine club? Tell me how the club works.
2: I can take that one. So, actually, we have um, we have an online marketplace where we sell by the bottle. You can buy a pack, and we have a club. And we also have um, a non-recurring club that's like a gift, that if you want to give someone a year of wine. And we actually this summer are launching, uh, in the coming week, our Summer of Rosé. So we've sent you uh, two of the bottles that will be in our Summer of Rosé package. So the way it works is you can shop the site, and you can buy just one bottle. You can buy a pack. Martha... Um, As Tyson said, picks and tastes every wine, so you know every wine on there is one that she loves. But we also curate packs together, um, so you can buy by the pack, and everything is shipped directly to you. You do join the club. There's a couple of choices. You can join a club where you get a half case, um, and you get it every eight weeks, or you can get a full case every 12 weeks. And if you join Summer Rose, you're going to get a half case of rose for three months in a row. So a lot of options.
1: That sounds fantastic. So uh, the website is marthastewartwine.com, and you have a a store on there, so you can buy one single bottle. How many um, offerings do you list there on marthastewartwine.com?
2: Great question, and it kind of goes up and down depending on the wine that we've supplied and how many she's had time to taste, to be perfectly honest. But we usually have um, anywhere between 60 and 100 bottles that are live on the site at any given time. Um, we're constantly adding to it because we're sending them to her. She kind of has Friday afternoon meetings where she'll sit down and taste them, and so sometimes we'll just drop one or two new ones up in the store because she's had time to taste and she loves them. And we usually even send out emails um, to our customers to let them know, hey, there's a new wine on the store. So that's kind of how it works, and it's been great. I mean, you can buy one bottle. We don't encourage it, obviously, because of, um, you know, with shipping. But, yeah, you can buy just one bottle or you can buy 15. <laughs>
1: So for the, the store, the online store there, um, are these labels that are uh, privately procured, or am I going to see Behringer, Knights Valley, Cabernet from Napa on there?
3: You won't see any, anything like that. Um, the majority of the, lo- of, of the wines are um, private label, but we do have some strategic partnerships with some very well-known um, producers. In France, for example, the Racine Rosé that you have there is from Bruno Lafon which um, has a lot of winemaking heritage, especially in Burgundy, before he went out on his own. Um, So that wine is a U.S.-exclusive wine just for us. And that's some of those strategic partnerships we look for, is that um, we're able to source these wines from these prominent winemakers like Bruno lafon like Bernard McGregor from Bordeaux, like Pierre Giorgio from Castellani, and be able to to truly be able to offer these wines to them, um, but in a unique fashion.
1: Uh, well, I'm tasting the Racine Coast de Provence Rosé 2016. Um, they're both delicious. Of course, I'm a big rosé fan. I have a winery here in Seattle and Washington called Coral Wines, and we made a little rosé as well in the Provencal style. Um, I think it's absolutely delicious. What's the average price for a bottle of wine on MarthaStuartWine.com, and, and what would the Summer of Rosé cost to get involved with?
2: Great question. So we have uh, the range of wines that we carry is approximately $12.49 on the low end to about twenty four ninety nine on the high end. And um, for the Summer Rosé, which is going to be six of these um, Rosés, I think the Racine that you have is seventeen ninety nine, and then the Coup de Rosé is a little bit more. Um, but if you buy the Summer Rosé, you're buying in advance. So we're going to be offering that for $275. And that's uh, three shipments, and you get six bottles of wine in each.
1: Is that uh, I got two pairs of bottles, so I got four bottles, uh, two kinds each. Um, is that the same, or do you get six separate bottles of rosé? Are you getting a pair of uh, three different pairs?
2: No. For Summer of Rosé, you you would actually get two more than what we sent you. You get, like, three of the Racine and three of the Coup de Rosé, and that would come three times. You'd get it every four weeks.
1: I see. And uh, do the rosés change, or are you just supplying me, restocking me for those?
2: It's going to be the same two roses for this package, and so what you would normally get in the store for, you know, 18 to $20 a bottle, uh, you end up getting for about $15 a bottle.
1: Okay, well that sounds fun, and um, what I like about Martha Stewart too is, of course, your packaging is is, is uh, spot on and um, very colorful, and I, I like it. I know that you'll like it too. I always I can hear her voice. I'm sure everybody can. Uh, pour the right wine and enjoy the right wine. She has some food pairings here, which is really fun. Uh, and so you are offering um, reds, whites, sparkling, and rosés. Uh, what are some of the sparkling wines you have on the site?
3: So right now we actually have a wide variety, so we look at for uh, Cava from Spain, um, we have Prosecco from Italy, we also have um, a Cremant from Chateau d'Arche, it's a project that they are doing as well. Chateau d'Arche is from Salpern, but they have um, other interests inside the Bordeaux region. So a wide, a wide range of sparkling wines to fit every kind of profile and budget.
1: Very cool. Uh, That's interesting. When you said Chateau d'Arche, I was like, wow, uh, how is Sauternes, a producer in Sauternes, making Cremant de Bordeaux? Um, That's very interesting. Do you know what's in that wine, by chance?
3: I don't have the varietal makeup in front
1: of me, actually. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm just being a smart-ass small <laughs> um <laughs> I know it is
3: heavy in Simeon.
1: Yeah, uh, that's I what I would is. I would assume, right? Because they've got Sauvignon yeah. Blanc, Simeon, and Muscadel over there. Um, what are, What's perhaps... Uh, how many customers have participated in the com? Oh, gosh. You know... Uh,
2: from a customer standpoint, I don't have a number in front of me, but you know what's been exciting about Martha is her reach because she has partnered to do a food and wine festival. So we actually um, poured wine in 10 different cities around the U.S. last year, and I went to four of them where Martha was also speaking, and we did VIP tasting. So in addition to you know the online site where we obviously directly reach out to customers and they order their wine from us, we've actually been able to pour wine for so many people. I mean, I... I want to say it was several thousand in Phoenix, especially, because uh, the food in Wantesville there in Scottsdale was one of the first places they did it, and we had a huge tasting. And, uh, you know, it's been really exciting to pour for everybody. We also poured in Ventura. We went to Detroit. And, um, you know, we just got the new dates for this year. She's going to be touring um, from June to December, and we're really excited. Um, I'm actually not sure if Seattle's on the list. I know we're going to be in Santa Monica here in in Southern California. Um, But... So we've reached out to a lot of Martha fans, and we continue to because we, um, you know, obviously she also has, um, you know, as a lifestyle expert, she also does food, and she also does uh, stuff for the home, and so we've had great opportunities to partner with her other partners.
1: Uh, It's amazing to to see how far she's been able to uh, brand uh, living. I mean, it's basically Martha Stewart Living. In fact, that's her magazine. So we've got cookware, we've got sheets, we've got, I don't know, pillowcases, and you've got utensils, of course, wine and food and cookbooks and and recipes. Um, She's done it all. Uh, Does she have a, a, a line of stemware, perchance?
2: Gosh, good question. She, she is in Macy's. Um, I don't think she has somewhere though.
1: <laughs> well, there's always room for another glass in my cupboard. It seems uh, um, it's pretty neat. <laughs> so uh, people can go online and and it's just it's pretty easy. MarthaStewartWine.com and it's just it's self-explanatory, right?
2: Yeah, MarthaStewartWine.com. We try to pick stuff at the home page that we curate. Right now, we're putting a lot of Mother's Day packs up there because can really make mom smile with wine but we also have a shop you know a standard shop where they can just look if you want to search for a specific bottle if you're you know want rhone valley or you want a merlot so either way
1: now is there a stylistic pack i can say give me the european uh six pack or uh, um are there sort of themed uh, boxes or collections that we can order
2: yeah absolutely we often curate on themes um so it just depends what we have up, um, you know, we often will do like a Tempranillo pack or a Merlot pack when we have um, a lot of uh, varietals and grains that we want to offer. We also, um, we haven't launched it yet, we're about to do a Down Under pack that has a lot of Southern Hemisphere wines because we have some really great new selections from New Zealand and Chile and other places. So yeah, we definitely do it on theme and sometimes it's the region, sometimes it's the varietal. and. Actually, sometimes it's just very Martha. So this we're about to go into wedding season, and we're also going, uh, getting close to Mother's and Father's Day. So we're about to launch some great grilling wine. So if you're doing barbecues and you're having a party, we, we're going to have a package of that as well.
1: So fun. Wow. Um, well, Kristen Rosen, Tyson Coaster, hey, thanks for sharing Martha Stewart wine with me. I'm impressed. Uh, anytime I get pr- real Provence Rosé at my doorstep, I'm in love, and uh, I kind of love Martha, too. Hey, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio.
2: Thanks so much. Thank
1: you for having us. Hey folks, that's Martha Stewart Wine Company. Um, I gotta say that uh, Rose is the way to start, and uh, we got more fun stuff coming up. uh, So stick around, we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: He's live. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. And I've got two glasses of rose, courtesy of Martha Stewart Wine Company, the Racine Rose and the Coupe de Rose. So I'm enjoying myself on this lovely Saturday night. And, uh, you know, when we're thinking about Saturday night and places to eat, there's so many, so many opportunities, so many options for information, whether it's eater.com or Yelp or um, Open Table, um, even your friends and, and even the Michelin Guide. Uh, there's so many different um resources to find out where to dine and your local paper of course if you still have a paper and even me I can tell you where to go to to dine Um, but I've got somebody who is actually one of the the foremost experts on dining out and he's uh, an author he was a food critic his name is Joshua David Stein and uh, he's written a new book Where Chefs Eat but he also has a couple books uh, in his uh, portfolio Um, Can I Eat That? Global Epicurean and What's Cooking? Hey Joshua David Stein Welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Very cool. So let's talk about you. Um, Where are you and how did you get into food? So I'm based in New York. I live in
4: Brooklyn. Um, I got into food strangely through nightlife, I guess, because I used to be an editor for a website, which is now defunct, called Gawker, and I was their after-hours editor which everyone thought meant I worked at night, but it just meant I covered things of the night. Uh, <laughs> things of the day, night, huh? The night. All
1: the things of the night, my friend?
4: <laughs> most, I, I was young, so yes, probably most of them. <laughs> right? um, but among those were restaurants. And then I kind of found myself really drawn to them, as I think everyone probably is. And I kind of got into writing more seriously about food since then. That was, I don't know, maybe ten, fifteen years ago. Wow.
1: Okay. I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Now, were you uh, you a college grad? You a journalist guy? Or were you a musician or were you a waiter looking to uh, divert some of your creative energy?
4: Let's see. At the time, uh, so I I was oh I don't know what I was doing. I was a <laughs> modern dancer. Oh, wow. Went to NYU, studied ethnomusicology. Actually, a Seattle and uh, Northwest guy, Harry Smith, who is a musicologist, um, who I think studied the Wabash Indians up there, uh, was kind of my hero when I was a kid. And he was an ethnomusicologist. So I went to NYU and studied ethnomusicology. And after I graduated and writing, after I graduated, I realized there's like two jobs being an ethnomusicologist. And Harry oh, Smith had one um, of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, so
4: that was not uh, a viable career path. Um, I started doing ballet and modern dance for a while, but kind of realized I was good, but I was not so good that I could ever make a living. And so I started writing, you know, kind of to pay the bills, but I always, no matter what I did, I was always writing. So um,
1: Right on. Well, um, you were a food critic I for started. The Observer, right? The New York Observer? That's correct, yeah. Um, That's got to be a pretty profile job, right? Uh, You're out there, um, you know, because New York has got so many restaurants, and, of course, it's all about those stars and and ratings. Uh, How many restaurants did you review in your career? Oh, if I was better at math, I could count, but too many (laughs) for me to count. Um,
4: I I did a weekly review, so uh, every week I was out there. I have two kids, and I had one kid at the time, and it just didn't it, Towards the end of it It wasn't fun anymore Like I think when You're a critic And you're eating out All the time It kind of stops being It's fun Because it's work Of course And it's almost like I loved restaurants Too much To be doing it That often If you know what I mean Like it I still wanted to be Joyful about them Right um, I also frankly There were two other th- Reasons why I stopped One was I kind of grew disaffected with the idea of awarding stars to restaurants. A star is such a bizarre and arbitrary, uh, I guess you call it a compound statistic, meaning like it's a bunch of things distilled into one simple rating, but restaurants, when you really think about them, are so much more than that. You can have a restaurant where the vibe is amazing and the food's only okay. You can have a restaurant where the food is off the charts, but no one really wants to go there. And I felt hemmed in by having to just say, okay, this is three out of five stars, when the story is so much deeper than that.
1: I can appreciate that.
4: Yeah. And then the last thing um, is a little political, but I quit the Observer when they, you know, the paper's owned by Jared Kushner. Oh. I quit the Observer (laughs) when they um, endorsed Trump for president during the campaign just because I thought... For a while, I thought, well, if I'm just doing fruit, it doesn't matter for them." But then, towards the end there, I thought, um, i don't it's not worth it like the dinners and the glamour and the job isn't worth putting money into this organization that's benefiting this person or that's endorsing this person. So I quit back in I think two thousand sixteen maybe and uh, to focus on books, to focus on other journalism and other writing. Uh, And now I actually write a column for The Village Voice called The Trencherman, where I eat at restaurants which are, um, what I say, too old for excitement and too young for eulogy. The Uh thing that I found was so frustrating about being a critic as well is you're always writing about new places. It's like after a place, and a restaurant I don't think really finds itself after, For a a little while, up to like a year, two years. Six, nine months, a year? Yeah, no one's paying attention anymore. And it's like, that's not how we live our lives. Like, you don't judge a baby. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know,
4: that guy's a jerk. He's only five months old. Yeah, but I can tell.
1: But he cries all the time. What a whiner. (laughs) Yeah, but. He
4: poops
1: everywhere. <laughs> well, I've worked in restaurants since uh, I was 8, 16, actually, and I worked in, well, I'll say a four-star hotel. Um, it's interesting, we do have stars, and I guess perhaps we should call them asterisks because that really does mean something. You should say that there's too much information going under this little tiny um, inkblot of, uh, of a symbol for everyone to appreciate right. or recognize. Um, but really, a, a restaurant, you're right, it's, it's ambiance, it's vibe, it's service, it's, uh, uh, it's pricing. Um, and its uh, convenience, uh, whether or not it's you got to drive far, it's something close, and, and really it's whether it's a good lunch or it's a good breakfast or a good dinner or a good late-night spot. Now, you started writing books, which is cool, so um, let's just quickly talk about some of the books. You wrote, Can I Eat That? What was the foundation of this idea?
4: So um, I have a son, Achilles, who's a very picky eater, and at the time I was uh, writing about food full-time all the time. And so I loved food, but whenever I came home, I would just fight with him about food. And I was really frustrated that there were no books for kids that were um, about food, but weren't about trying to get a kid to eat food, but they were also not like personifying the food. I think it's so creepy when like you make a hot dog a character like a living character, because at one point the hot dog was a living character. It was a cow (laughs) and you kill it and then you give it a human face. And then you're trying to also convince a kid to eat it. It's just the most like bizarre contortionist.
1: I'm just just cracking up. That's so funny. You're absolutely right. I mean, the different face, huh? If only they could put the cheeks and the jowls and the tails. in there. Yeah. And it could be crying out. I don't want to die. Um, (laughs) So,
4: so I read this book called, can I eat that, which is just kind of like a funny book about interesting food that the, the funny parts aren't about trying to get you to eat food. It's just like, there's a lot of word play. Like if I eat jelly and I eat fish, can I eat jellyfish? Um, like things like that, yeah. uh, as a way to, to laugh with my kid about it and like, have it be a fun experience. But I'd actually – that's my first kid's book, but I'd written a cookbook before that with um, a pair of restaurateurs, one chef and one uh, brewer in New York uh, called Food and Beer is that book. And that one is – it's about pairing uh, fine dining. The restaurant was the only Michelin-starred restaurant with a beer-only tasting menu. It's since closed. But what I was so excited about doing that book was people – At the time, people weren't really considering that beer is an appropriate pairing for fine dining, which is crazy. It's just a prejudiced, kind of, like, biased outlook. Of course, beer has a flavor profile. And it might not be as expensive as wine, and maybe everyone can make beer, whereas not everyone can make wine. But that doesn't mean that it's not worthy of attention. So I was really excited to do that book, too.
1: Oh, very cool. And, of course, you went uh, to the very other end of the spectrum, and you wrote a book called Global Epicurean, which sounds fantastic.
4: Yeah. Well, let me just be, I'll be open about that book. So there's, you know, I'm a guy trying to make a living and, um, (laughs) there's a hotel collection called luxury hotel collection and they put together a bunch of recipes from their hotels, which are great properties. Um, and each chef donated a recipe that they kind of put into this book. And, uh, I pretty much for that. Yeah. I got the author byline or whatever, but I just basically wrote the intro to that. So I don't want to say credit where credit's not, uh, you know, due, due. <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, very cool. Hey, we're going to take a short little break here, but um, and then we're going to get into the, the real meat of this conversation, is where do chefs eat, or where chefs eat? <laughs> Edition three, which I'm curious about. I'm speaking with Joshua David Stein, who uh, was a former food critic, a current author, and a father. he got a cool name, Achilles, huh? I hope he... Yeah. Um, and uh, was he dipped? Did you Did you baptize him by his Achilles heel? I wonder about that. Hey, folks, stick around. We're going to have Joshua David Stein and chat about Where Chefs Eat, coming right next on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Unapologetically American. Period. Kirby Wilbur. Weekdays 10 to noon. Talk radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Wanna Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalier, Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle. Hey, hope you have a great Saturday night. I've got uh Former restaurant critic and current author Joshua David Stein. He's online coming from New York. I know it's late out there, and, uh, but life doesn't get going in New York till about 10 o'clock it seems sometimes. Hey, Joshua David Stein, uh, we chatted about your book, Can I Eat That for Kids, The Global Epicurean, which is sort of a luxury collection, uh, and you wrote the forward to that. Um, What's Cooking, another book, but really you wrote a book called Where Chefs Eat, and that's what uh, caught my eye. Um, this is interesting. Tell us, uh, tell us about the impetus for this idea.
4: Sure. So uh, this is the third edition of Where Chefs Eat, um, and I, just to be clear, I'm the North and South America editor. So I worked with three other editors across the the world, um, Joe Warwick in Europe, uh, Evelyn Chen in Asia, and Natasha Mirosh in Australia. Basically the idea of this book, which like I said, first happened, this is the third edition, Um, is to ask chefs where they eat. It's a very simple idea, but so good, I can't believe anyone else didn't think of it before. And uh, we've since built it out. So this is the first edition where they have a U.S. editor, who's me. um, And my goal was to really expand the offerings in the United States. So um, we have over 1,200 restaurants in the States that we recommend. The entire book has over 650 chefs, so it's a very very weighty book. I don't know if you have it in front of you, but it's like a doorstop.
1: Uh, I did not Um, get a copy, so I'm very curious about it. And this is very interesting for me, 650 chefs from around the world, huh?
4: Yeah, yeah. So for, for me, it was a matter of reaching out to the chefs who had already participated in the previous editions, but then also trying to build out chefs in cities that we hadn't, included before like baltimore charlotte uh indianapolis pittsburgh savannah you know it i think when it's easy when you look at the states to just pinpoint out these bright shining lights that get all the attention seattle you know it's one uh new york l.a sh- chicago you know there's a you know even like even it cities like charlotte in you know like or charleston or um New Orleans? New Orleans, yeah. It's a
1: perfect example.
4: But then there's all these other cities which don't get all that love and totally deserve it. So I wanted to delve into those cities as well.
1: Very cool. So tell me, uh, did you cover Seattle and what Seattle chefs might have you written about? Oh. (laughs) put you on the spot. (laughs) Let's see. Ethan Stoll, Tom (laughs) Douglas, uh, maybe the chefs at Canlis, or perhaps uh, Dana Tuff and McCracken.
4: There's a lot. I mean, Seattle has a a huge section, I think bigger than a couple of, you know, bigger than other cities, because what I remember is a food scene. I don't have the book in front of me, but the food scene being um, one of those things where the deeper you dig, the deeper it gets. Not all food scenes, not all food cities are like that. You know, some you, you. So basically, the way I would do it is I would ask one chef for eight. Uh, recommendations across a genre of uh, across a bunch of different genres, from like late night to breakfast to local favorite to high end or whatever. So if you ask eight chefs, that's eighty places right there. Wow. Assuming there's no overlap, so you really get quickly into see the entire culinary landscape. Is I think in Seattle there's a place called Tarsan E Jane.
1: Oh yeah, Tarzan I Jane. Yeah, Tarzan I Jane or I Tarzan Eugene Jane or something. Yeah, I haven't been there yet, but it's, <laughs> I hear it's great.
4: For some reason, that name in in my mind has stuck is somewhere where I really want to. I've never been to Seattle. I'm actually going in two in two weeks. Really, um, for the first time. Yeah, uh, I'm going to check out Slayer Espresso and um, go up to Bellingham and meet up with bob kramer from kramer knives so i'm very excited for the trip and that's the one place tarzan i jane that i very much want to go to but of course there's you know seattle for my for an east coaster like me who has lived my whole life in new york well most of it um and having never been to seattle i just can't wait to get there and eat eat as much as i can all the time
1: Well, uh, it's nighttime. It's Saturday night and you got me hungry. Um, I, I've got some fun haunts myself and being a restaurant guy forever. It's interesting you say that because as a waiter or a manager or even a bartender or sommelier, you're getting off work at uh, 11, 12, 1 a.m. sometimes, and if you're a bartender, it's 2 a.m., so we'd always go to the late-night dives, and it wasn't always, you know, great food, but it was, it was a comforting place to go to. Now, um, let's, let's where's,
4: so- where's your, Where's your place? Where's your late-night place?
1: Well, it used to be McCormick and Schmick's because it was across the street from, from my place of work for the late night happy hour. Then, of course, we go down to the Hurricane Cafe, but uh, Seattle has changed. I think, you know, the idea of having a, an all night dive, um, is kind of vanished because we've just become this, uh, gentrified city. But 13 coins has opened up and that's been a, a stalwart a hall, uh, a hallmark, uh, Seattle icon institution. And, uh, I think they've really got it going on. I used to eat sweetbreads, uh, financier over there. Late night, you know, that's at 3 a.m. and yeah. just, you know, just gorging yourself with carbs. Uh, what we call the uh, the drunk, the drunk dining or whatever. <laughs> well, let's chat about some of the cool places in New York, or um, give me some restaurant names and some chefs who uh, you think uh, have really got a cool spot that they're um, munching on.
4: I will, but before I do that, I do want to just shout out the idea of the 24-hour diner, which I feel like never gets as much love as it does. I don't know if they're out there in Seattle as much as they are in New York. Even in New York, they're a vanishing breed. But the idea of a place where you can go, I I reviewed one recently for uh, the Village Voice called the Waverly Diner, and... A place where you can go at like 2 a.m. and some people are having breakfast some people are having lunch some people are having like lobster <laughs> diner lo- lobster diner um that's an amazing space to me that to me is my like that's the ideal form of a restaurant is a 24-hour diner um okay. but to get to your questions, you know places that i think are worth mentioning uh I will say that the the place that got the most votes, not votes, but most selected for breakfast is this amazing restaurant here in New York called Russ and Daughters Cafe, which is the offshoot of a very old uh, fish, smoked fish place called Russ and Daughters appetizing in the Lower East Side. A couple of years ago, the new generation of owners expanded into this restaurant called Russ and Daughters Cafe. They have, you know, whatever, the, the fluffiest eggs. And the best challah, you know, French toast and just amazing lox and amazing like pastrami smoked lox. And it's just a wonderful place. And Now they have cocktails, too. Not for breakfast, but at night. Um, That's right. You can't drink um, in well, New
1: York till 10 a.m., I think. Isn't that right? Well, if you're like me, you drink alone in the morning <laughs> and you're weeping. But I think, yes, <laughs> restaurants. So. Uh Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> by that. Like, what? Okay. Well, keep going. Tell me um, more let's
4: see the local favorite. So one of the questions is a lo- is a local favorite, not the place you go to every day, but the place in your neighborhood that you really, the place where you live, that you really jazzed about, um, is a small restaurant in London called Rochelle Canteen in the center of London. Um, run by the wife, Margot Henderson of Fergus Henderson. He's a very well-known chef, but his wife opened this restaurant a couple of years ago. And it's really a wonderful, magical restaurant, sort of like tucked into all these buildings. There's a yard. It's a, it's a beautiful experience. So that got the most votes for uh, local favorite. Everyone, of course, wished they'd open. So one of the questions was, I wish I'd opened. Everyone wished they'd opened Noma the restaurant, René Rydsampi's restaurant in uh, Copenhagen, which has closed and been reborn as an even more intellectually satisfying concept. Um, So I guess those are some. And then maybe, you know, worth the travel, there are two winners. One is Blue Hill at Stone Barns, which is a restaurant a couple hours, maybe an hour and a half north of the city here in Pecanico, in an old barn that belongs to the Rockefeller family. Um, the chef there is Dan Barber, and it's total farm to table in a in a very elevated way. And the other is Mugaritz in Spain, which is a a, a tiny restaurant in the Basque country with very very intellectually um, rigorous cuisine, I would say.
1: Wow, that sounds lovely. I mean, Spain is very exciting, and when you travel, you know, it's interesting because London I didn't find to be quite. Uh, uh, well, I would say Epicurean if you will Um, but I know I'm sure that that's uh, changing because they do have I mean they have great Indian food London of all things which I thought was really cool Um, I didn't get much Chinese food there but um, when you think about Where did you go? Oh I was How long uh, ago? Oh shoot you're right I was there when Freddie Mercury died so that was November 90 well, actually I was just there on a cruise but we didn't really dine out. it's been 20 years it must be, yeah, it must be the getting scene, better
4: it, I mean for me London is one of the most exciting food scenes um, there are just so many ambitious chefs doing really interesting things in London and around uh, London so I would say you should go back and when you go back you should bring this book first <laughs> I, I should send you the book then you should book your ticket to London <laughs> then you bring the book to London
1: alright well let's tell us how to get the book is there a website hmm. yeah you can get it on Amazon where everything
4: in life is purchased <laughs> Yes. Um, you can get it at your local bookstore uh, you can get it through Fiden as a publisher. That's P-H-A-I-D-O-N. Uh, and the good thing is if you buy it through Fiden, and I think if you buy it elsewhere, there's a free app that you can download um, so you don't have to bring the book if you don't want ah, to carry it. It's, I love it. Like I said, a thick book.
1: Hey, Joshua David Stein, uh, congratulations. Look forward to seeing you in here in Seattle. Where's Chef Seat Edition 3? Available at Amazon.com. Appreciate you joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you, Joshua. Hey, folks, stick around. we got one more segment.
0: They do for politics what Edison did with the light bulb. Kirby and Carlson, weekdays, 8 to 10 a.m., talk radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle. Hey, it's time for our fourth and final segment. Hope you enjoyed a little conversation with Martha Stewart Wine Company. Um, It's interesting. I think... the rosé has got me, um, I'm smitten with the rosé. I think that's pretty cool because that means if this is such a mainstream uh, club and Martha Stewart is pretty damn mainstream, um, for them to be sending out Provence rosé uh, as my first taste, uh, I was really impressed. Um, of course, it is April. Uh, I wonder if how many people went out to taste Washington. And speaking of Washington wines, uh, this last weekend we held the Seattle Wine Awards. Uh, the Oregon Wine Awards and the Idaho Wine Awards all into one great tasting. We had 1,374 entries. Um, it was a huge tasting. It's a little arduous task, uh, I think, with uh, the, um, well, the. Gaining more entries means we'll have to have more judges, or more tasting panel, more evaluators. I don't like to call them judges, but everyone knows what that means. And uh, we had a great lineup. I had uh, Christy Skeeler, who was the assistant winemaker for Columbia Wines. I had Joel Butler, the master of wine, over in Redmond. I had Ken Avedizian, who was the uh, the guy who buys cellars around the world for WineBid.com. Beth Hickey and Mackenzie Parks are fellow advanced sommeliers, and uh, they are some of the the top ladies in our profession. Um, Jason Smith, another advanced sommelier. Uh, I had Brie Boscoff, who is a master of wine out of Oregon. She consults for the Oregon Wine Board, and I saw her in New York a while back. I had a great crew of sommeliers who helped pop poor, pop-proof and poor, um, we, we have a lot of integrity for this Wine Awards program, and I want to pre- uh, send a, a thank you to all my volunteers, the sommiers, and of course, Miss Peggy Reddy, who is uh, a key person in the whole... Uh, she is the main cog. She is She's about... Dedication and meticulous and integrity, and she's a perfectionist, and it sometimes drives me crazy, but that's what makes uh, the Seattle Wine Awards so great. So I appreciate her help. Of course, David LeClaire was there, and he was captaining along with Nick Davis, uh, another advanced sommelier. So we have a great team. There's lots of layers. We touch every bottle of wine and every cider at least nine and ten times. Um, there's a lot of real care that goes into this with... The appropriate glassware, whether it's a burgundy glass for Pinot Noir or Chardonnay or Pinot Gris even, or a Bordeaux glass for um, the red varieties and even a white wine glass. So we have Riedel helps us with all our glassware. Of course, we have the Somme team. And uh, a shout-out to some of the behind-the-scenes people, which I call the Familia. The Familia's been with me for over 13 years. And these are people who are hospitality professionals Um They are part of our immigrant labor force and they are some of the best people, the hardest working, the sweetest, kindest. They made us lunch. They changed the glasses. They washed the dishes. They polished the glasses. They set the tables. They broke the tables. They did all the dirty work. And without them, heck, we can't do what we want to do, what we need to do in the fashion that we want to do it in. So uh, it takes a village to pull off this event. And the results will be coming out May 1st. So check out SeattleWineAwards.com and Coming up in June June 16th is a Saturday night Take your dad out uh, Call it an early Father's Day gift It'll be the Gold Medal Tasting Experience Over at South Seattle Brocky Center, uh, from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., we'll have all the gold and double gold award-winning wineries and cideries and some distilleries from the Seattle International Spirits Awards, which take place next week. Um, First week in May, I should say. Uh, So that's June 16th over at South Seattle. Um, This is a benefit for the Seattle Wine Summit, or SOM Summit, if you will. It's an international wine and spirits educational symposium which takes place in August, so August 25th and 26th, over at South Seattle. Again, so you have this great campus, this college campus. They have a winery. They have a culinary department. And we've got uh, international wines and, and ciders and beers and spirits coming to town. So uh, put that on your calendar, June 16th. Of course, uh, SOM Summit, or the Seattle Wine Summit, is August 25th and 26th. Lots of wine events coming up. Uh, next weekend is Koshan 555. Um, actually, it's this weekend, and it's going to be really fun. Also on the 22nd is the Neighborhood Nosh. And coming up is the West Seattle Wine Walk. I live in West Seattle. I'm a big, proud uh, West Side guy. And we have the West Seattle Wine Walk coming in May. Along with the uh, West, the Taste of West Seattle, which is a benefit for the West Seattle Helpline. Uh, like I say, we've got a great website. If you ever want to check out some of our shows, you have to check out HappyHourRadio.net, and we're also on iTunes. So now you can follow us around the world, wherever you are. You will have this friendly voice telling you about all the great stuff I'm drinking. And I still have some great rosé. Um, you know, I've kind of smitten with that Martha Stewart Wine Company. Of course, uh, we've got great stores here locally, and I'll probably never join a club, unless it's the Cayuse Wine Club or the Colcido Creek <laughs> Wine Club or Leonetti, something like that. But Esquin Wine, Wine and Spirits, of course, McCarthy and Shearing, um, and uh, Pike and Western, uh, great stores all over. And of course, Champions. Champion Cellars is uh, reincarnated up in Greenwood, and uh, i got to go check that out. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. We've got lots of going on. I'll be out pouring Coral Wines this summer, so I hope you check it out. It's CoralWines.com. Remember, folks, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!